This week on the World Triathlon Podcast, we have a bit of a Montreal special previewing a big weekend of racing with some of the stars of the show and starting with Great Britain's Non Stamford. The 2013 world champion and a Rio 2016 Olympian, Non switched the blue carpet for the red carpet at Tokyo 2020, working for the BBC covering the Olympic triathlon. So Non, thanks for coming on and finding the time while uh, in your room in, in Montreal. Uh, yeah, time is something that I have a lot of right now, being as we're in three-day full quarantine. So my pleasure, and thank you for having me along. Um, so yes, obviously this weekend is World Triathlon's first sort of foray into the elimination format uh, on, on Friday and Saturday. Mixed relay on Sunday. How are you feeling ahead of the weekend? Excited to, to be going with this format? Is it one that you've done before with Super League? No, I've never actually, I have done a little bit of Super League um, a few years ago, so I've done a little bit of it, but I didn't do super well actually, so I'm hoping that this weekend goes um, a lot better than my first foray into Super League, so yeah, I'm doing something different and uh, seeing how I stack up against um, the other girls, you know, it's going to be completely different, nobody really knows I guess, uh, where they stand with this kind of new format. Um, I'm kind of thinking it's going to favour the, the younger, faster uh, generation of athletes coming through, but um, hopefully us older, older athletes can hold our own as well. Is, um, is Montreal, have you raced much in Montreal over the years as well? It's obviously been part of the circuit for quite a long time. Do you know what? Actually, this is my first time in Montreal. Uh, oh. For one reason or another, I've never actually made it out to race here. So, yeah, super excited to be here and see the course. Yeah, hopefully going to have a good and memorable race. And Sunday is uh, mixed relay as well. No GB, sadly. Um, obviously, the Olympic champs probably taking a well-earned rest and only Grant Sheldon on the men's side. Um, but as far as your... You know, so yes, you were working for the BBC during Tokyo 2020. Um, it must have been enjoyable and perhaps slightly frustrating, was it like being on, on the other side of the camera, but um, lovely to obviously still be so closely involved with it and, and to be able to sort of share it for in, in a very different way. Yeah, of course, it was very different to, to what I'm used to, but I uh, absolutely loved the experience of working for the BBC and was incredibly grateful for the opportunity to, to be on the other side and see how things work from the other side. And of course, I was really disappointed not to be racing in Tokyo myself, but um, do you know what? When one door closes, another one opens, um, and I still had a really positive experience during the Games period by working with the BBC. And um, yeah, hopefully opened a few doors for me uh, when, you know, I'm not no longer competing in triathlon myself. I'd love to be involved in the media side of our sport and, you know, still uh, enjoying and being involved in the sport, but in a different capacity. Had you done anything like that before on that sort of, you know, scale? And it was fully live, was it? Yeah, it was completely live. Um, it was all in a, in a green room studio. So everything that you saw in the BBC, um, so for those people living outside of the UK, um, it really looked like the presenters were sat in a studio overlooking Tokyo. Um, but in fact, it was a green room in Manchester, um, no views whatsoever. Uh, all that was real was the table and chairs. So it was incredible what the BBC managed to do and, and really kind of 
brought Tokyo to to the homes of 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 our nation, and it was incredible to see firsthand how that worked and all the hard work that went into it, and to sort of learn um, how TV works and what happens behind the scenes. And no, I've never done anything like that before. I've done some commentating in the past, um, but that's quite different when you're sat in a in a box and you're pretty faceless. You're just a voice. So um, it was cool to experience a different side of TV and be in front of the cameras and, and working with some fantastic presenters and sports reporters and you know meeting some amazing um stars of British sport who um yeah have achieved a lot more than I have so I felt quite um, privileged to have been asked to do that. Who was some of the people you were kind of rubbing shoulders then with and, and who was kind of anchoring the whole thing? Uh, so I was, uh, the presenters that I was on set with were JJ Chalmers, uh, Alex Scott and Claire Balding. So they're pretty big names in BT Sport. Um, and then the other pundits for their various sports included Chris Hoy, Rebecca Adlington, Mark Foster, um, Beth Tweddle. So yeah, I was really, um, really fortunate. And, and uh, Michael Johnson was also there. So that was a... Um, starstruck moment when I got to meet him and, and sit in the green room with him before going on set. <laughs> he, is he as sort of cool, calm and collected as he appears when he's doing his stuff? 100%, yes, he is exactly as he comes across uh, on the TV or when you, you know, you saw him racing. He is a lovely guy, but yeah, completely chilled and completely cool. And uh, I was trying my best to remain cool um, <laughs> and not uh, not embarrass myself in front of him, but he was he was really nice and asked all about triathlon and um, was really interested. And um, I think he enjoyed watching the highlights of the triathlon race. So hopefully we have a new fan <laughs> in Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson and and Michael Douglas, right? I mean, you know, it's it's all about the the A list Michaels after after Tokyo. Did you see? He was uh, yeah. Doing yeah, nice we're bringing in we're bringing in the uh, the celebs these days. <laughs> um, and I mean, was it something that you sort of had? Did you have to have like a fair bit of training leading in? Obviously, if someone if you're on live TV and someone sort of throws to you and then it's your turn and wait, well, I know went in um, cold turkey. <laughs> uh, I turned up at the studio. Uh, they put earpieces in my ears. Obviously, mic'd me up. And to be honest with you, I thought I was going there to commentate from the commentary box. And it was only when I was kind of on set and I realized like the race was about to start. And I was like, uh, guys, I think I need to be in the commentary box. And they're like, no, no, your plan. you're in the studio for the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I was thrown in completely, completely blindly. But uh, fortunately there were no, no hiccups um, and it went smoothly and yeah, I absolutely loved it. So it was, a, it was definitely a great experience. And as far as the, the kind of atmosphere around the relay, was it was it all going kind of crazy? Were you losing your mind as as Vince passed Alex going through? Uh, what was it? It was at the bell on the bike. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, I think I sat the whole race, sort of tapping my foot nervously on the floor. And um, JJ, the, my co-host, was um, pacing around the studio, getting really nervous. Um, and then as we sort of were onto the run, we all stood up and cheering and shouting. And yeah, I was pretty nervous actually when Vince um, overtook Alex, but Alex was fantastic and responded so well. Um, you know, especially when you consider his age and maturity and experience, 
compared to that of Vince's. Um, he handled the situation really well. So, yeah, we're all very, very proud of that mixed relay team, of course. Um, the first ever Olympic champions is a pretty special title to have. And I know the four of them are celebrating well back home right now. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting to, to have that side of it, to, to be able to have those avenues as, um, you know, inevitably when you start thinking about your career beyond actually racing, um, many go on to do many, many different things, but uh, to be able to stay in the sport and, and to be able to do something like that is obviously, you know, incredibly valuable and, and a potentially a whole new career, but um, not something that will come to many people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, every athlete's career has a shelf life. Unfortunately, it's not something you can do forever. And, um, you know, there comes a point in everyone's career where you do have to start thinking about the future uh, and making and making plans. And, you know, it's a big talking point in elite sport. I think when people come to retirement, they potentially feel a bit lost because they don't know what they want to do um, after retirement and also um, sort of regimented days and planned days and structure and people telling you what to do has kind of been our whole life so when that's suddenly taken away it's very hard to adapt so you know I'm 32 now and um I'm not 100% sure when I'll retire but I am definitely planning and thinking about what my life post-triathlon would look like and I would love to um move into the the media side of triathlon and and still be involved in the sport in in some capacity um, you know, I have a few ideas, not just the media, because it's a difficult industry to break into. And, um, you know, if, if you're realistic, triathlon is only on the TV eight, nine times a year. So, um, you know, I have to have other plans as well. But um, it would be a dream to, to move into the media side of triathlon in, in some capacity or, or sport as well, more generally. Is uh, the UK going to be your sort of home going forward, you know, is it, or is it Australia, obviously? Aaron Royal, your, your husband as well, so you have strong links to both. Yeah, um, I guess you haven't fully decided. I'm uh, a strong, um, I guess, strongly back the UK. Um, I'd love to be close to, to my friends and family, um, but equally, you know, on the flip side, it's the same and, and we have both have great friends and family on either side of the world. Um, you know, I've got a, a fantastic... Um, support group over in Wollongong where we live in Australia and, and Aaron the same in Leeds where we live. So I guess it'll just come down to um, who gets employed first and where. <laughs> <laughs> also not really the time to be making those sort of decisions still yet, unfortunately, is it with the world as it is. Um, how was it for you sort of, you know, you were obviously, did you move to Australia? Well, just after Malulaba, did you then stay in Australia at the start of 2020? We, we headed over to Australia um, about a week into the British lockdown. So that was end of March. Um, we didn't mm. race Malula Bath. That was never part of the plan. Um, but for a few um, reasons, we headed over to Australia when lockdown um, hit the UK and yeah, ended up being there for a lot longer than we thought. We thought we'd be there for a few months and then the season would resume and uh, life would go back to normal but obviously as everybody knows that never happened and we ended up being in Australia for around 14-15 months which meant we could actually buy a house um, which is something that we've been planning to do for a really long time in Australia so it gave us the opportunity to do that and um, it was great to sort of 
spend so much time there and really feel settled in Australia because uh, I've only ever spent sort of a few weeks at a time there and uh, it finally gave me the opportunity to, yeah, to feel far more settled over there. Was there a sense uh, from being in Media City and stuff at, at, around the Olympics, was there a sense that everything that had happened over the, the previous 18 months was, was kind of enhancing in a way the, the performances of, of the athletes in Tokyo? Did you, did you get a sense of that from people that had obviously covered many, many Olympics previously as well? I think it was, um, it was mixed on whether the uh, delay um, enhanced or took away from the athletes' performances. I think it was very individual to each, to each athlete. Um, for some of the younger athletes, it obviously gave them an extra year of development um, and therefore, I'm sure, resulted in a better result than they might have had in 2020 or even resulted in them being selected. You know, they might not have been selected before that. Um, and maybe the flip for some of the old, older athletes that thought that maybe 2020 was going to be their final hurrah and they were going to set sail into the sunset and be done with or whatever sport they were competing in. Um, I think that extra year really took its toll. So I think it's a real mixed bag. Um, but it was, I think, regardless, I think the whole atmosphere was just, um, everyone was just really grateful that the games did go ahead. Uh, and obviously, from the media's point of view, it was a very different and very tricky situation that they were in. Um, BBC, for example, had only very limited people on the ground in Tokyo and the whole operation had to come from the other side of the world in, in Manchester and that presented many challenges and um, there were honestly people working around the clock there to deliver, to deliver the games. But you know, I think the whole world would agree it was a huge success. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's shown the world that hopefully we can resume uh, normal life, whatever that is, um, over the coming months. And, um, you know, this pandemic isn't going to rule us forever. I suppose the best thing in hindsight is that you can, you know, we can look back at the games and say with unequivocally that it was the right thing that they still went ahead, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, it was a success and... Fortunately, I don't think there was any sort of major outbreaks and um, hopefully the, you know, everything risks were minimised and nothing major happened. And um, I think a lot of people were grateful for the distraction and uh, something to celebrate, you know, outside of, of what's happening around the world. So for sure, I think it was a success and um, I think everyone will be looking forward to, to Paris in three years time now. As someone that's, you know, won big races on some of the biggest stages, um, a packed Hamburg, quite an incredible place to, to win, I would imagine. Like, the, the idea of finishing, of winning an Olympics in almost silence, does that, does that seem kind of a bit of a strange thing to you or is it, do you, would you imagine it probably actually wouldn't even sort of register? Um, I think because my, my only experience of the Olympics was, um, Rio and there was a lot you know we were really fortunate there were big crowds there and a lot of support and I think your whole idea of the Olympics is you know packed stadiums and um, athletes winning their medals in front of huge crowds and from from my perspective I wasn't in Tokyo but from my perspective I think it was a massive shame um, that those athletes experienced those games without that because I think it is 
a big part of uh, competing in a major sport event, sporting event, having the support and the big crowds there. And, you know, I do think it elevates performances and it must be very eerie and odd racing in front of um, crowdless stadiums and streets. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're walking away with your Olympic gold medal, I'm pretty sure you, you don't really mind that much. And at the end of the day, it's about performances that the athletes produce and um, that's the most important thing so yeah it'd be interesting to hear the opinion of those people that were there racing and, and how they found it really it's going to be unique games um, and you know, uh, games that will go down in history and I think the athletes that were there will be grateful that they got to experience um, that slice of history yes it wasn't a normal games but it'll definitely be a one of the games that's remembered forever mm. and for people like it, you know, were, had there been fans there and had every time Simone Biles sort of walked into that gymnastics arena, the place had erupted. One wonders if she, if the, that twisties thing would have, would have ever happened, right? Maybe everything being so completely different contributed quite heavily to that as well. It's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure um, the crowds not being there affected athletes both, both positively and negatively some athletes might have felt a relief of pressure because they weren't having to perform in front of huge crowds and you know for the home home nation athletes maybe walking out into you know a roaring crowd being really intimidating um but for other athletes i'm sure having you know massive crowd support would really lift and elevate their performances so i think it would depend on the individual athletes how they they react to it and um for the bigger sports who are used to competing in front of in front of crowds it must have been really uh, different but there are many small sports that aren't used to competing in, in front of big crowds so yeah i think it would have affected individual athletes very differently hmm. and crowds should be back uh this weekend in montreal so that's uh that's going to be fun and, and obviously yes this this new elimination format which should get them whipped up as well um What's your what's what's the schedule like for you then after out of you know once once you're out of quarantine is it? Um, yes, we should be out of quarantine because I arrived on Saturday. I should be out of quarantine uh, by Wednesday morning, so I'll be allowed to go along to the training venues and get some training done. Um, to be honest with you, I won't be changing too much from my normal um, pre-race routine. Uh, I don't normally do masses of training in the last couple of days uh, before a race. So, yeah, no, things won't, won't really change. Just a few sharpeners, a few strides, um, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, because it's such an unknown event, um, I don't also want to try and, uh, I guess, recreate the wheel by uh, doing anything crazy or stupid before the race. So it'll just be the same build-up as normal. Um, and yeah, hopefully it puts me in good stead to race well. So, and just for those listening, uh, as an explainer, there's there's two qualifiers, two men's qualifiers and two women's qualifiers over the super sprint distance, and then a, a repechage for a further 10 athletes to potentially qualify um, from those that didn't from those two. And then that translates to the finals on Saturday with, yeah, 30 athletes on the start line, which is whittled down to 20 and then to 10. So potentially, you know, if you went through the repechage route as well and got to the final, that would be five super sprints in two days. 
Yeah, be a lot of racing, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, that might favour some of the uh, earlier. I think the format generally favours sort of the faster and faster younger athletes, but um, the extra rounds might start to play into the favour of the older, more experienced athletes who um, might have a bit more endurance. But it's completely unknown, and again, we'll find out um, who suits this new format as, as the race unfolds. But uh, it'll certainly be exciting and um I'm sure lots of twists and turns and unexpected events. Absolutely. All right. Brilliant. Well, best of luck at the weekend. Thanks ever so much for taking the time. Really good to speak to you. No worries. Thanks for having me along. Next up, we have Australia's Matt Hauser, the 2017 junior world champion, also fresh from his exploits in Tokyo with big ambitions for Paris 2024 and more pressingly, also ready and raring to go in Montreal and Edmonton. So, Matt, how are you? Well, thanks, mate. Yep, good to go. As you um, coming off the off the trip of a lifetime in Tokyo, and um, and yeah, was able to spend a week in Claremont, Florida, with a few of the Aussie guys, and then uh, yeah, landed here in Montreal to start a three day quarantine. So, uh, ready to go for the weekend. It really was a, uh, the trip of a lifetime, was it? It kind of it lived up to everything that you had presumably built up in your mind quite closely as well. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic experience just to see and be involved with everything in the in the village and um, to have all those amazing athletes and experiences around me was um, yeah something money can't buy and um, I'm sure I'll be better off um, you know come hopefully my second games in Paris um, in only three years time now. And yeah, it will be good to hear more about that obviously, but um, equally, you know that was your that was your first sort of race back alongside the top tier, the top table for, for quite a while. Obviously you've been racing a lot in Oceania as well. Um, but yeah, coming back to Edmonton 2019 for your, your last world series race. So, you know, those, those races, your, your Chengdu world cup win, your Nurseltown world cup win, they must feel like a very long time ago, like a lifetime ago, really. But yeah, definitely. And it, and it has been hard um, being effectively locked up in Australia. Um, I mean, it's been a good, safe environment where we've been able to get some good hard training done. Um, squad on the Gold Coast and Dan Atkins. But yeah, you know, you, you can't buy the international experience. And that's what I've been lucky over the past 18 months and um, was found out a little bit in Tokyo. But I really keen to, to try and um, access some of that form again in, uh, in these World Series races coming up. And um, yeah, really looking forward to it. I think Montreal plays to my strengths and I, I performed well here in 2019, as you said, coming, um, having my first top 10 um, in, in the sprint distance there. So, um, yeah, halving the distance this time, hopefully it'll be um, less room for error, but um, more more room for success as well. When you're winning kind of back-to-back World Cups like you were in 2019, how does that sort of change the way you're approaching races and, like the, you know, yeah, major confidence. I mean, yeah, I, I won my, my debut World Cup in, in Chengdu back in 2017. So, um, yeah, to have those results behind me and to know that I can perform at that level, um, yeah, is extremely encouraging. And uh, although World Cup racing isn't isn't quite as at the level as um, World Series racing, um, you know, it's it's still up there competing against a few of the guys. So, um, yeah, look, I'll be looking to, to try and um, access some of that form again, as I said, and um, yeah, gives me gives me confidence to know I can be there um, with the right work and, and performances behind me. And Montreal this weekend, another really good opportunity for you, presumably, to feel like you can land 
scoop like your a career best performance like th- this new format is obviously some some sort of fairly large unknowns for for quite a lot of athletes that haven't necessarily done it before beyond the the um super league as well but you must be confident like it must play to your strengths um these these sort of short sharp races as well do they yeah i believe it does and i really enjoy the race you run i think if you enjoy what you're doing you're um you know you're going to do well in it regardless so um yeah and obviously there's going to be a lot of unknowns coming out of tokyo um a few people having um having to to prepare in, in different different ways and manners so um, I'm certainly leaving Tokyo very focused and motivated to, to try and hit these next couple of races before I go back to Australia where I won't be able to do too much. But um, yeah, that's, that's the thing I'll try and I'll be trying to squeeze everything out of this, the rest of this season and, and perform at my best and yeah, hopefully get um, another great result here in Montreal. So tactically, how does it work? Obviously like, so there's, there's two qualifiers, there's two men's races to qualify and then a repechage. Um, and it's, you know, it's all about finishing in that top 10, but at the same time, preserving as much juice as you can, you know, particularly for the finals when there's three races in such short, short succession. But like, as far as like the awareness of what's around you, where you are in the field, if you're kind of hovering around the sort of 9, 10, 11, 12 mark coming to the, to the finish there and you've got to get into that top 10, how, how does that work? Yeah, I think I think you've got to be kind of tactical with it. Um, I think for a lot of for a lot of these races, um, they're going to be quite front end, so swim bike dominant, um, which will allow hopefully a few of the athletes up front to to not necessarily ease up, but to to try and conserve as much energy as possible just to sneak into that top ten or just to qualify um, and get through the next round. You know, it's going to be back to back to back racing in, in the final, especially if you get all the way through to the end so um yeah it's going to be all about conserving as much energy as possible um but also not risking your position um at all so yeah i'm expecting a lot of front end racing and um the first boy challenge should be pretty uh pretty exciting in the swim as well um no doubt a bit bit of carnage but um that's why we love it and um yeah i've been doing a few of these races in in australia a few of these these same formats um you know obviously um, it's becoming more and more prominent in the scene of triathlon and, and hopefully towards um, you know, the Olympics to come as well. We'll be able to see that the super sprint format debut. Um, we've obviously seen it, seen it in the mixed team relay, how effective it's been to, to engage the wider audience um, being exciting in short shark racing. So no, it's really exciting. And yeah, on that, on that mixed team relay, obviously you were part of the Aussie team in Tokyo lining up there, the four of you, um for the for the introduction and so on was was that like one of your moments of the games really yeah it, yeah especially just the, the pride and um the honor of being able to represent um in the relay you know only two guys from from our country get get a chance to and i was lucky enough to be one of those guys and um yeah a lot of australian, australian men nowadays would have filled that spot um quite comfortably um but yeah i was just Honored to be there um, to, to put it all on the line. I, we suffered out there, but um, yeah, we definitely got everything in that. That's all you could ask for. And um, yeah, my last mixed team relay um, race at that level was Edmonton, where I um, had a team a 10 second penalty or 15 second penalty. So I was happy not to do that again. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a success in my eyes in that, uh, that instance. 
the pressure of, of being in a team, everyone says, you know, the mixed relay is a great opportunity because it's a rare one for performing as a team. But then I guess when you're suddenly lining up on an Olympic start line, everything like the, the pressure of even every transition, right? Did, did it, was that all heightened? Did you, did you feel like a real sense of extra kind of responsibility going through there? Uh, yeah, there is a little bit of extra angst, I guess, in, in the moment, um, knowing that, you know, you've, you've potentially got the weight of your, uh, the weight of your country on your shoulders, but I, yeah, I think you're just cr- trying to, trying to strip it back to, to what you know and um, you know a short and sharp race and you've got to have your mind on the task and be able to adapt um, quickly uh, so yeah I, I don't think you can reflect on it too much I think you've just got to not worry about anyone else not worry about it effectively not worry about your teammates you've just got to put your head down and, and try and tag in the best position as possible and at the end of the day it is still an individual leg um, um, you're you know you're doing four individual legs so you've just got to yeah, put your heart on the line and and try and uh, try and get it, give everything. Yeah, and ahead of the the individual, obviously, uh, yeah, it was this was heading into your your first Olympic experience, and were there? How was the atmosphere around around the village? Were you able to? You know, you're part of like a, a huge unit that is Team Australia. Was, were you getting good advice from people? Were you trying to keep your head down? Was it like, were there quite a lot of distractions around the village? Uh, there wasn't too many distractions. I think we kind of um, agreed as a, as a team unit to try and um, yeah, keep it as professional as possible and to try and limit exposures, et cetera, with the, the whole situation going on. But um, yeah, I think, I think we, we managed well um, just to stick as a, as a unit and the, the Team Australia tower um you know there was so much success coming around us with the swim team um that first week and and all all the gold medals we we raked in that was it was it was quite motivating um to be able to see that and to to be able to um to what to want one of those stories i guess coming out of the game so yeah although i I did keep it in perspective it was my first game so I, i knew that um you know the pressure was effectively off and i just had to to try and give everything um and I was, I was speaking to Ali Brownlee um, for the race and he said, you know, few people perform, overperform at the games, few people perform as they should, and then a lot of people underperform. So that kind of gave me confidence to know that, you know, all I needed to do was just perform, you know, how I know I could. Um, and it would be a good result for me and my country. So. And as far as the team relay here in Montreal goes, the team lineup like there's a lot of Aussies here obviously Brandon Copeland as well and, you, and yourself and like you know there's a lot of options on the men's and women's side so how what's the official kind of line as far as the lineup for the mixed relay on uh, Sunday yeah well it'll be largely due to, due to how we all go and on the uh, on the individual stage I think um, yeah obviously if you're informing you're showing that especially with the same distances uh, as it'll be um, in the mixed team relay, um, you'll definitely put a strong case forward to, to selection in the mixed team relay on Sunday. Um, yeah, our high performance team will no doubt put the best foot forward. And yeah, it's great to have Brandon Copeland alongside me here. We are definitely challenging for one of those spots. And it's, um, it's his first um, WTCS race in, in a while as well. So um, yeah, no doubt he'll be uh, he'll be ready and ready to go. Um, obviously having a bit more of a, more of an ideal preparation, not not having to head um, into Tokyo on a race as well. So, and only only three years to to Paris. So, 
yes, the Tokyo games have only just finished, but <clears throat> that shorter period sort of, in a way, kind of makes everything more exciting. Like the, the prospect of, of Paris, it doesn't seem kind of crazy to be thinking about that already. So you must already as well be thinking, right, you know, came away with a great individual result, could definitely sort of, sounds like you, you feel like there are areas you could improve and so on. And, and likewise with the relay. So a lot of excitement and a lot of preparation already. You've got Joel Filial starting um, as part of the high performance crew in Australia as well at the moment, right? So like a very exciting three years ahead for you. Extremely exciting. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I want to be a part of those Olympic stories and a part of that Olympic experience again. So um, yeah, a lot of my, the next three years will be dedicated to that and going off the, uh, the experience that I had in Tokyo, it'll be highly motivating and a bit of a chip on the shoulder situation heading into my, hopefully my second games. Um, yeah, we'll have Birmingham as well, um, just around the corner next year. So that's, so it's obviously not too far away as well. So it kind of all rolls into one, um, having that year off in 2020. Um, yeah, which, which I think is a good thing. I think it, it was 2020 was a good time to reset and refocus and, um, to to put the pressure off, so so now that we can uh, we can really ramp it up and, and give it everything these these next uh, year or year or two, or effectively three leader Paris. Um, yeah, yeah, as you mentioned, Joel um, leading the charge in, in the triathlon Australia high performance team now, and um, yeah, it'll be really great to have him supporting us and and being able to access his knowledge and experience in the game as well. Uh, I think it'll be invaluable. So yeah, credit to triathlon Australia walking down him for the next few years. Yeah, so you mentioned Dan Atkins. He's been your coach for a, for a long time, is he? And, and then Joel will kind of oversee the, the sort of holistic, the overall thing. How, how long have you been working with Dan? And, you know, what is it that he specifically brings to your to your racing and training? Yeah, I've been working for Dan ever since I moved to the Gold Coast and, and probably a little bit before that. I remember as a young boy in Harvey Bay traveling down to, down to the Gold Coast, which is about a five-hour drive. Um, you know, to train, um, you know, with the likes of Calvin Quirk and Dan Tom and, and, you know, junior guys coming through the ranks and, you know, seeing their progression with Dan. And, um, yeah, it kind of kind of made my choice pretty pretty clear cut to to head to Dan. And it's, it's worked ever since. I mean, I've had a lot of great successes with him over the years. And he's been able to set up a, just a great training environment um, with a lot of good guys and girls um, on the Gold Coast and, it, and it's worked for a lot of people. So, um, and he's also a great mate of mine. So it, it you know, makes working with him a lot easier and, um, you know, there's always this banter and, and around and, and makes, um, you know, makes professional work, um, you know, that little more um, special if you're doing it with friends. He's here in Canada with you, is he? He won't be here in Canada. No, he's actually uh, kicking on for the, uh, for the Paralympic Games in Japan, so he's he's uh, he's in Mount Fuji at the moment, I believe, um, preparing because he's got the likes of um, Katie Kelly, um, and a and a um, guide Bree, and also Lauren Parker to uh, to head the charge for triathlon Australia, the para team. So, yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of a lot of work ahead of him over the next uh, few weeks. Very cool, and you likewise, obviously, straight from Montreal to Edmonton, and you mentioned this, this will be your you know last throw the dice as, as the under, in the under 23s as well. So yeah, junior world champ, this would be, this would be a great next step and another huge launch ahead of, like you said, the Birmingham Com games and then into Paris as well. Pretty pumped for Edmonton too. Yeah. Very pumped. As just, as you said, it's my last year for under 23s and it's a great opportunity to have another shot at a title. Um, yeah. 
keeping in perspective, Brownlee is the only one to do junior under 23 in elites. So, you know, ideally that'd be, that'd be the, that'd be a great achievement in itself. So um, yeah, to, to try and line up for front of 23 world championship is um, yeah, a great honor. And um, I really look forward to, to giving it everything um, as well for triathlon Australia. Brilliant. Well, all the very best of luck, obviously, Matt. And thanks ever so much for taking the time again. <laughs> Appreciate it, Doug. And hopefully, yeah, catch up with you like in the in the coming years as well, and see see how the uh, how the plans have all gone. Hopefully, uh, hopefully smooth sailing, mate. Hopefully, nice. I get out of Australia again. <laughs> Great. Cheers, Matt. Next up, we hear from Germany's Laura Lindemann, fresh from a top 10 individual finish and a brilliant opening leg for the German mixed relay team at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Laura, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in Montreal as well, ahead of, uh, ahead of the weekend. Um, obviously, with eighth at the Olympics, ninth in Leeds, the world rankings are very tight there from kind of third place down to 10th. Um, you're sitting in ninth at the moment, right? So good results in Montreal and Edmonton and, and you can be having your sights on a podium at the end of the year, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't do the math a lot about this, but yeah, I just hope for good results in these two races and yeah, maybe get up in the ranking, that would be nice. We heard from Non Stanford about the sort of specifics of the, the format of this weekend's action in Montreal. Um, and it's over obviously very similar distances, the sprint distance, super sprint distance to the, the relay in Tokyo. How do you personally like adjust your race tactics uh, for, for over those shorter distances? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit like the, the, the relay distance, but it's more races obviously <laughs> it's not just one all out so we'll be a bit yeah tactical i think and yeah the first part is just to get through the uh qualifier as relaxed as possible but also as safe as possible <laughs> and um yeah then see what happens on the second day i don't know i think i never did something like this like three and all with like, I don't know, 15 minutes of break or something. Mm. And yeah, it will be very interesting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So when it was announced that this was going to be the new format, what was your, you know, what, what was your reaction as an athlete who obviously every athlete has their own preferences and some would certainly prefer a super sprint, I guess. Some just naturally prefer a, a standard distance. Um, so yeah, for you, was it something that kind of excited you as a different challenge or, well, I mean, your display in Tokyo obviously spoke for itself as far as what you can do over that distance as well. Um, yeah, to be honest, I didn't know that it would be that kind of format. I thought the whole time it would be a qualifier final format, like the European champs. <laughs> so since a week, I think I <laughs> know oh, the right. real format. Um, but yeah, I... I'm excited and uh, I think I like the short distances as well as yeah Olympic distance. So yeah, I think it will be brutal a little bit. I mean, I know Super League and Super League is also very brutal and uh, yeah, so it will be maybe 
yeah, very tough because yeah, the shorter, the more lactate, I think, and yeah, the tougher the race, yeah. Mm. So, you know, were you, if you qualified for the final day, but through the repechage, for example, uh, and then got to the final of the final day, that, that final race, that would be five super sprints in, in two days, like compared to an, a, a standalone Olympic distance, what, what effects does it have on the body? You know, how, how does it, how does it react in comparison? Yeah, I think it's super important to recover from each race and to be as relaxed at the start line as possible. And yeah, be as recovered as possible on the start line of each race. And yeah, but also to stay focused because yeah, you have to stay in the, for example, for the final day, to stay in the top 20 and then in top 10 and then yeah, just all out on, at the last last uh, race and yeah it will be very interesting and never did something like this so and how are you feeling after after Tokyo um you know obviously a, a huge effort and I would imagine considerably more kind of emotionally charged and the sort of the build-up and so on and then you know two two big races so afterwards did you feel I don't know more exhausted should we say than than usual Nah, i i feel more happy about uh, about the race and that i improved my swimming so much i had a really good swimming and good biking and um yeah just very motivated for the rest of the season as, as we mentioned like you you smashed that opening leg of the of the relay for germany as well it was it was Jess and Katie sort of pulling away at one stage on the run a little bit, but then Jess was obviously slowing. And then you had just that extra bit of juice left in the tank for the, for the final sprint before handing over to Jonas, right? How were you, can you remember much about that leg? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really tough. Like the girls were swimming very fast and I just to hang on on the bike and, like, okay, if I'm in this group, that's good. We're making time to the other or the rest of the field. Uh, that was that was the plan. That was good. And then on the run, mm-hmm. really felt the start of the race, <laughs> the hard swimming and the tough biking. And um, yeah, then I was yeah trying to run hard from the beginning, but I, I just <laughs> didn't have the legs at the beginning. So the other girls, like Jess and Katie, were pulling away, and I was like, "Okay, just hold the um, hold the gap. Just try to make up every second that I can, because yeah, there's a whole team on the other side, and <laughs> they believe in me, and they say Lindemann is giving at the front." <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, try to do that, and then on the second level of the run I was like okay maybe everyone is hurt (laughs) maybe the ones are dying a little bit in the front and then I saw the gap getting closer and I was like okay just sprint all out to the line to uh yeah give up to uh Jonas so that he will be in the first group and yeah that was (laughs) 
yeah, that was all good. And I was very happy to yeah, close the gap on the last meters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he absolutely hammered that first stretch and yeah. ran towards the dive as well. That was quite something to watch. Just sort of brushing, I think, Kevin McDowell behind the side as well. And, um, I suppose a bit of a shame for you guys in a way that Johnny Brownlee's sort of, he pulled out one of the most impressive kind of legs that, I mean, he was the, the fastest in the field by, by a long way and, and never sort of relented, right? But, you know, yeah, Jeremy, you were sixth. Um at the end and obviously that as a team must have been very pleased to, to come away and have produced such great performances across the, the four legs. Yeah, yeah, we were very happy with the position in the end. Sixth place is great at the Olympics. Um, I mean, yeah, and the team, everyone gave the best and it was just a very good team and yeah, yeah we, we were very happy at the finish. After that, so that was the Saturday morning um did you then finally get a little bit of time to kind of enjoy the athletes village and so on i mean obviously i'm sure you did in the, in the lead up as well but to do it without the prospect of races and so on how how was your sort of olympic experience and, and your memories from it yeah that was also nice after the races to yeah do everything that you don't really want to do before like go to the shop and buy some souvenirs friends and family and I don't know eating some ice cream from the <laughs> cafeteria and uh, yeah that was nice I mean I was a bit it was sad that we can't couldn't watch other sport so that would have been very cool to watch other sports but because of the COVID situation wasn't allowed but yeah I just enjoyed the time in the village and yeah, that was nice too. <laughs> Any particular like star moments? I saw, you know, everyone seems to be getting their photo with Novak Djokovic and so. I, I got the picture with the high jumper Mutas Bashim. I was really, cool. I just saw him on the way and I was like, oh my God, like I love his style of jumping and I follow him on Instagram and then he posts all the videos of him jumping and it's so like, spectacular how high he can jump and how like aesthetic it looks and yeah so I was very happy to <laughs> get a picture with him <laughs> and and as far as you know leaving with kind of absolute sort of delight in your own performance as well were you you know like you said you, you felt like you had delivered improvements in your swim and your bike and that had obviously you know set you well up for for producing that that valuable kind of top 10 finish that you must have been really proud of yeah yeah that, that was really good and also like dealing with the pressure and stuff that was like yeah very you have the feeling like okay I can do it I can deal with the pressure I can perform even if it's like yeah the, it is all it is the Olympics it's also just a triathlon race in the end so yeah that was great to achieve that did you feel, you know, st stood on that start line and it was obviously like, you know, fresh off a typhoon and so on. So that adds, it's, adds another layer of complication to things. Um, it did, you know, you could see, you could definitely see a little bit of nerve and nerves and tension in faces that perhaps you don't quite see as much of in 
other like in the World Series and so on. Did you get a sense of that? Yeah, you know, yeah. Not just for yourself, but collectively as well from other people on the line alongside you. Yeah, I think, yeah, you can feel it. Like everyone is a bit more nervous. And yeah, it's like the whole situation is just a bit more tense. And yeah, yeah, you, you can definitely feel that in the athletes' lounge and everywhere. Yeah. And as a team, as you know, for, for Germany, um, you know, you and Jonas had, had obviously qualified in your own rights as well. And then the, the extra two slots were, it was a super sprint kind of one-off qualification event for Germany, wasn't it? That Annabelle yeah. and uh, Eustace qualified through. So, you know, quite an unusual way of doing it. But do you feel like, you know, that obviously worked? Is it something that you, you would imagine will be repeated for Paris? Obviously, it's, it's way, way off yet. But, um, you know, just in terms of the way, the way that all probably also brought a different layer of, kind of slight stress and pressure as well like feeling about that performing as a team right I mean it's not something you have to you've thought about you know going into Rio it was all about you and your first games and then this time it's like okay well obviously I'm going to focus on my individual but we've got to perform as a team as well here yeah I mean I think the the test that the German Federation put up for the to other spots um, was just for for the team relay because it was just the team relay um, distance. So it was good to select two for the team relay, but I think, yeah, this also very, um, I don't know, you don't know who you get on the day. Like, I mean, on this day, everything was all right. Like these two were just the best on the day and that was, Fine, but you can also have like a very situation with someone having a flat tire or someone crashing and like it's very mm. yeah you can have a good selection or you can also have like a very stupid day for some and I think it was also for the rest of the girls and boys who tried to qualify a very hard day like for everyone who didn't qualify it was mentally mm. tough I guess and yeah but I mean yeah a selection for the Olympics is always a tough decision for the federation yeah and yeah hope for Paris maybe we have um a selection through maybe some individual races and relay selection stuff that would be cool because then you have mm. someone who yeah is obviously also very good in the individual and also good in the relay that would be perfect <laughs> but yeah you never know <laughs> no oh, well I suppose it's it's one thing that did sort of lead up to Tokyo showed it that there is probably no perfect way of resolving who gets on the team is there from you know wh whichever team it is and obviously that was somewhat amplified by the COVID situation as well which kind of took opportunities away didn't it um yeah so you know the future of, of German triathlon is, is still bright. Um, yeah. And how much do you feel like, you know, having Hamburg as a race that is obviously such a firm fixture on the calendar and so on, and you've had great results there over the years, you know, silvers and bronzes in, in both the individual and the relay. So for you personally 
and obviously it was the only race, the only series race to happen last year. So, you know, to have that on the schedule for, for you as a German athlete must be, uh, must be pretty special. Yeah, it is. And like, ha yeah, having a home race is always special, I guess. And Hamburg is such a nice race in the yeah, old city town. It's very nice. And also in the park, it was, it was okay. <laughs> I mean, it was because of the whole COVID situation. They did whatever they could do. So it was good to have a race. And yeah, to have a race in Hamburg is always special. And having the home crowd and it's, yeah, so important for all the Germans watching and <laughs> that makes you feel like, yeah, very special and it's, it's cool to have in the series and yeah, I couldn't imagine a series without like having Hamburg, <laughs> that would be not as nice. No. <laughs> I know it's just such a big crowd when there's no COVID situation, of course, and it's, yeah, the first impression I think is that you can even hear the crowd in the swim was very special because you swim like next to the yeah harbor thing and then you can hear the crowd from the swim was amazing <laughs> and then yeah everyone screaming the name like every corner someone I know and yeah that was very special to have so many people that I know and they that know me <laughs> and yeah I think that so your first experience of it was was actually racing it was it you didn't, uh, yes. you didn't ever go with yes. yeah it was never uh, before I just watched it on tv and I suppose the the shift to the park was a bit it was similar to the lead situation right it's gone from a very kind of iconic city center out to a park and it definitely felt different but it was it was still a success yeah but yeah it felt different but I mean, it was still Hamburg, it was still the easy travel for me and yeah, every, I could have everything I wanted there because yeah, it's kind of like home and um, yeah, it was still the Hamburg thing for me, <laughs> I guess. Um, and also, yeah, still there were my friends and family there. That was good. I mean, they couldn't mm -hmm. watch the race, but they were there and that was good. Yeah, I don't think you can sort of underestimate the impact of, of being able to race at home, whether it's having friends and family there watching or, like you said, the ease of getting to it and, and just the familiarity of it all, right? I was talking to Christian Blumenfeld after uh, his Tokyo race and, you know, he was talking about Bergen potentially coming on the, on the circuit as well over the next years and what that would mean to him and to Norway and so on. And, yeah, I mean... That would be a great addition, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be cool to have also a Norwegian race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it always means a lot to the athletes of the country too. If, even if they're not racing, they see the top athletes and they you know they want to be one of them soon. And so maybe they work harder and be one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and the Flora and Bermuda model has obviously worked well, so oh, just yeah. sort of, she'll be wanting to recreate that. Um, you, is is Bermuda on your schedule for, for later in the year? That's October, obviously, but... Um, yeah, for now, yes. I don't know what's, like, I... Uh, maybe 
don't do stuff and do stuff it's very like <laughs> not very set now because <laughs> sure. yeah it is a long season but yeah the media sprint distance world championships is a good thing i think and yeah i would yeah. be down for that <laughs> <laughs> yes all right well yes and and for the short term obviously um in a couple of days I mean, we'll be in the bubble, but we'll be at least outside of the hotel and the bubble then continues to Edmonton and uh, yeah, two big races ahead then. Yeah, two big races and yeah, I'm also very excited for Edmonton. Um, yeah, I kind of got to like the Olympic distance <laughs> yeah. more and, more and uh, so I'm very excited for having a, another good result in Edmonton maybe. Yeah, two very different challenges, but um, obviously wish you the very best of luck in both. And thanks very much for taking the time to come and talk to us. Thank you so very much. And thank you to be like uh, the end of the boredom today. <laughs> Pleasure to be of service. Great. All right. Thanks, Laura. Non Stanford, Matt Hauser and Laura Lindemann there dialing in from quarantine in Montreal ahead of the weekend's races which you can watch on triathlonlive.tv from Friday at 11.30am local time, that is 5.30pm in Central Europe, with the women's qualifiers followed by the men's and then two repechage races. Then join us for Saturday's big three race finals from 1.30pm local time, 7.30 CEST. And Sunday, the mixed relay is back from its Olympic debut, coverage from 3pm local, 9pm CEST. Thanks for listening.